let me pray for my time, for our time together in the next 30 minutes. Justin, I'm going to take off my glasses so you can, I think I'm going to sweat today. I can see it. Thank you, Father God, for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, thank you uh, for this time, these 30 or so minutes that I get to share what you've put on my heart this week. Uh, I'm humbled and grateful for what you have given us, and I pray that I'm just a mouthpiece and your words come. I pray for, I thank you for the time that I was able to spend in study, and thank you for the spontaneity of the Holy Spirit that I pray goes through this sermon. Uh, whatever you want me to say, God, make it clear. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I begin, uh, it was good that the prayer team uh, did a confession uh, prayer this morning, because I have a confession. Um, nowadays, as, um, as pastors, uh, we're very accessible. Uh, social media, phone, you guys know where I live, you know my phone number and everything. Um, one, of my, one of my preaching mentors told me, uh, he said, in a big church, in a big city, your preaching enables you to pastor. But in a smaller setting, uh, in a smaller church, in a smaller community, your pastoring enables you for you to preach. People see your life, and they see what you do day to day, so they follow you and they listen to you. In the bigger churches, you, you, you rarely know the pastor. You don't know where he lives. You see him on Sunday morning, so you think he's, he's, he's here and everybody else is here. and he's, he's, You don't know. You don't know how he's a man just like you and I. Yesterday, my sin nature, my sin, sin nature, and a part of me that uh, most people don't see, if, if, you, if you know me, you say, oh, I, I never see Marcus get angry. Uh, we never see, he's always laughing, he's always joking, he's quiet. But uh, yesterday I did. Um, I was coming, oh, I've missed my glasses. <laughs> I don't have to. <laughs> I was coming... I was coming back yesterday. It's been a tough week. It was a tough week, but it's a, that's pastoral life. That's pastoral ministry. And last night, we, we had Gene's party, and I was driving home, and I was, I was just angry. Uh, doesn't happen too often, but I was angry. And we're driving home. My wife and my daughter are in the car with me, and we, we get to a, a miscommunication, all kinds of stuff. We get to a, 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 a four-way stop sign, which I think, and this is in my neighborhood, I think is a four-way stop. And I get there, and I stop. It's getting dark, and someone else stops, but they keep going, and my window's down. And I, yeah, and I said, you, you need to stop. I never do that. I was so mad. And then 30 seconds later, I looked at my wife, and I said, I was wrong, wasn't I? She said, yes. <laughs> you have the stop sign. They don't. And I just remember the face of the person, the little girl was in the car going by. And she said, she said, you have to stop. And I thought, man, what would have happened if I would have thought I was right? I was dead wrong. And I knew I was right. And I got home. I got a phone call. I, I, got, I got angry with John on the phone. John, I want to apologize to you publicly. Um, forgive me. Because it had just been one of those weeks. So I ask for your forgiveness um, as a body. 
You know where I live. You know my phone number. I know I always joke and say my email address is JJans, but JJans is not here today. <laughs> but you know me. The passage, thank you, Maida, for reading that passage. Uh, I know it was pretty lengthy. The passage that she read is familiar to every single person in here, right? No pastor has gone a certain length of ministry and not preached on this. It is like the first base of, of, it's like the, you know, softball, the slow pitch sermon that every pastor can and should and will preach multiple times in his life. It's the story of David and Goliath. It is not an obscure passage. Uh, you know it. It's not, it's not different. I'm not going to try to give you some cute new way to look at this passage. I'm not, I don't have any new insight uh, theologically. What I do have this morning is a way that you can look at the characters, the people who play parts in the story, more carefully. Our series is called Refocus, Seeing Christ in the Old Testament, perhaps for the first time. So if you look at that through that lens, I want you to cleanse your palate of, of the sermons that you've heard in the past about David and Goliath and listen carefully to what is being said for the next 30 minutes. Josh... If we get that clock going, that will be, okay, I can see the normal clock, but I can't see my countdown clock. So I don't know if it's a red light, green light, yellow light, something we got to go with, but whatever we got, I'm going to keep going. I got time, right? 11.24, I'm here. All right. So I grew up in a house. I have five siblings, and, and my siblings are all, the closest one to me is five years older. I have a sibling that's 21 years older. So all my siblings were teenagers when I was growing up. And we had this Mitsubishi Lancer. If you don't know what a Mitsubishi Lancer is, it's a family car. It's, it's for four to five people max, right? We all fit in that car. My mom, my dad, my, my four brothers and sister in the back, and I was on my mother's lap in the front. Uh, I didn't know. <laughs> this is so funny. Most of the time when I, where I grew up, I didn't know what, the, what, what a seatbelt was used for. What is this thing? I thought it was just for like holding, I don't know, boxes, right? <laughs> so I would sit on my mother's lap and we would drive. And the point of the story is my father would often tell stories. My father was a great storyteller, and I think I, earned, I, I got some of that from him. And he would, he would tell the story of how, where he grew up, how he grew up. My father grew up in, 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 in I don't want to say jungles, but in, in the hinterlands of, of Liberia where some of the dense jungle. And my father left his home at an early age to go and, and, and work on a farm so that he could get educated. And he always told a story about, if you ask my brother, my brother could walk in his room today, how many cows did, my did our father have? He would tell you, 52 cows. He said that story probably 100 times as we drove to school. And he told those stories over and over and over till we all knew them. And how he would study by candlelight because he wanted to learn English. And how he wanted to do this and do that. And I thought, why does he always keep telling these stories? He told these stories because I live now, and I look back to those stories, and I realize, like David and Goliath, you hear those stories all the time, but as they replay, as you get older, you see new details. Man, that's such a habit. You see new details of the story. His perseverance without electricity. His, his diligence of waking up and feeding cows. So the story here is that in 1 Samuel 17, 
David is the youngest son of his family. We know this. And he's up against a giant. I'm going to walk through three, three things that we can pick up from this story. One is Goliath's challenge to the people. Goliath is a challenger, and he offers a challenge. The second thing is, who is our champion? Goliath is their champion. Who is our champion? And the third is, so what? What do you do with the story of David and Goliath? Is it, is it there to tell me that I need to gather my five stones and defeat my giants in my life? Is that the moral of the story? Because sometimes when we read narratives in the Old Testament, we tend to put a, a, a Western individualistic interpretation to these stories. Verse 4, let's describe who the champion is. As Maida read, it says, And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. In Hebrew, by the way, uh, when we translate Hebrew to English or we try to interpret, the, the, the height of Goliath is often, is often maximized. Some, some people say he was nine feet. Some people say he was eight feet. Some people say he was seven feet. The reason why that is always controversial is because Hebrews 7 and 9 all start, the, the word 7 and the word 9 and 8 all start with kind of the same letter that can be easily confused with the other letter. So it's like a, it's like a small D and a, and, a, and a small B. You can, get them, you can get them mixed up. Like a Y and a, and a Yod, you can, get them, you can get them mixed up. So it's really difficult. But the point of the story is that, the point of this is Goliath. As it says in verse 5, he had a helmet of bronze on his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of, co the, weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Goliath was a well-armed, well-prepared soldier. He was bold enough to step between the battle lines. In that time period, in Israelite history, or in, in military history, people didn't fight this way. Armies didn't fight this way. They would fight as groups, but very rarely would one champion step between the battle lines and say, send one of your guys, and I will fight him, and then if I conquer him, all of you guys will be defeated. They usually fought together. Nowadays, we don't fight that way. We don't send one soldier from the U.S. Army to go and fight one soldier from somewhere else. So this is rare. The word for champion there is a Hebrew word that means someone who steps out, not necessarily a champion who has already won, someone who steps out between the line. Goliath is supremely confident. He looks terrifying. He's well protected. His weapons, by the way, this is so good, his weapons were not, the Israelites had never seen weapons like that. Here's why I say that. When you fast forward to the New Testament, when the New Testament talks about we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, the weapons that were formed against us shall not prosper, they're making that connection. His weapons were not in their world. They hadn't seen things like that. He seems impossible to beat. And he's breathing threats. He's arrogant and he knows it. No one can beat me. No one can defeat me. And the object... This challenger is issuing a big challenge. He's saying that if I lose, my people will become slaves of yours. If I lose, 
my people will become slaves of yours. It's easy to, to glance over that and go to the next verse. I want you to sit in that for a minute. If the Israelites were to lose this battle, they were going to become slaves. How much confidence do you have in me if someone walked in here and said, send one person out, and all of you guys are going to be slaves if that person loses? Think about that feeling you would have in here. Who are we going to send out? Where's BZ? <laughs> right? Who are we going to send out? We're going to find our best, the strongest, the person we know works out, Joel. <laughs> the per person we know does work in the gym, our champion. But the challenge, guys, is much greater than two men fighting. The battle is not just two men fighting. It's a battle between freedom and slavery. It's much greater. That battle is much greater than just what was going on right then and there, right? The battle that we face in our lives today, there are temptations, there are challenges, there are problems in our lives that are bigger than they seem. So who do we send to guarantee our freedom? Right? Who do we send? Who do you usually send when you face an impossible task? The question, the answer that we want to ask is we send a seasoned warrior. A clear answer. We need to send our strongest person. The Israelites start looking for a professional. Someone who can match Goliath. Someone who can fight and actually kill Goliath. Because their lives, their freedom, their families are on the line. We want to send somebody with knowledge of battle. We want to send somebody with training. Right? Where is our Norman Schwarzkopf? Or Colin Powell? Where are the special forces? Forgive me if those names don't ring a bell to you, but they do to us over 30 or over 40. You know who I'm talking about. So where do we find a seasoned warrior? I think in verse 11 it says, When Saul and the Israelites heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly, right, afraid. They weren't just afraid. They were shaking. They were shaking in their boots. There's a Casting Crown song that has some lyrics similar to that. I just imagine, I just imagine folks sitting there cowering for their safety before an enemy that they cannot defeat. Not sure what your challenge is today, uh, what you're going through this morning, this week, this month, or who has stepped out against you. This morning, I'm going to tell you who's on your side. Who your champion really is. When was the last time you faced a great challenge, a great challenger, an impossible task? When I was younger, I like to share these stories, and if you heard them before, God bless you. <laughs> it was around this time of year, actually, and it was late October 1990. I am a little boy, 11 years old in West Africa, and we're behind rebel lines in a civil war. And every night, they would fight in our neighborhood, and the neighborhood would change hands between two groups. One of the groups wanted to kill people like me with my last name. And when they took over, we all hid. And then a couple days later, another group would take over, and they were half wanting to kill me, but half peacekeepers. 
So it was, it was not a, it, I didn't have a safety there. But I remember one fine afternoon, we're sitting outside, late October, uh, and it just got quiet. And all of a sudden, there were soldiers jumping over the fence, like armed. Uh, and I was in the front, I was standing on the front porch, and we weren't going to schools, so we were playing cards. And the soldiers start, the soldiers start coming through the, through the bushes, and it became clear that they were not friendly people. They were the people that wanted to kill me. So, uh, ooh, ooh, right? And I said, oh, I should go inside. But if you run, it's automatically, you know, you're guilty. You're going you're gonna to take one. So I, I stood there, and the soldiers started saying, everybody's in the house, needs to come out. Because we're looking for certain people. We're looking for certain tribal people. Oh, man. Uh, talk about an impossible task. Talk about a challenger. And we're all coming out gradually, cowering forward, shaking, because they're going to kill you. We lined up. I mean, and it was one soldier, I remember, I mean, just a dark-skinned man with bullets across his chest holding an M60. If you don't know what an M60 is, take my word for it. It could, it, yeah, it could mow down people in, in seconds. And he had this, I mean, the gun was bigger than I was. And he's standing there, and there's five or six of them, grenades hanging all over them. And they're going down the line and just asking people, what's your name? What tribe are you? What's your name? What tribe are you? What's your name? What tribe are you? And my last name is Doe, and they're looking for people with the last name Doe to kill. And they're just going down the line. And right in that moment, my little 11-year-old eyes look on the ground, and I see ants on the ground. And the ants are just minding their own business, going to their life. And I said, man, I wish I was one of them. I wish I was one of them. That was a challenge. That you may not be facing soldiers who are going to kill you today, but you are facing something. You're asking, where is my champion? Do I have to be my own champion? Who's on my side? You're shaking. Maybe you're battling anxiety this morning. Depression. Next month's rent, cancer, surgery, or if you're like me, the fear of even going to the doctor. Your kids, and you're wondering, man, where is everybody? Or maybe sometimes you sidestep your challenges because you don't know a champion. You don't know somebody who has stepped between the lines for you. And you're wondering, Deep down in your heart, this story you've heard a hundred times, but you're wondering to yourself, does David always win? Does he always win in my life? Does David always win? If you're honest, sometimes no champion steps in for you. So you step in or out, look to the left, look to the right, and your David never comes. You never find the courage to be David. You never go out and pick out your five Figurative stones, your sling, and Goliath wins the battles. It's in all our lives. We're losing battles because there's no champion. And the battle is not even spiritual, it's not even physical, it's spiritual. You have only challenges and challengers all over the place. You ever feel abandoned in the midst of life? As the Israelite felt when they were facing Goliath standing there every day. The Bible said he came out every day and taunted them. 
Some of you wake up in the morning and things in your life every day taunt you. They laugh at you. Who is your God? You're going to serve me when it's done. Let me assure you this morning, you have a champion. You have a champion that steps in between the lines. You have a merciful judge. You have a king. You have someone who has stepped in and taken the office of judge, of king, of, 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 of priest, and put it all together. The question is, who is that champion? The champion is an unlikely champion. If you contrast verse 4 to verse 12, it talks about David. As we listed with Goliath, he has all the armor, all the armor and everything. He's a trained soldier. In verse 12 it says, David was a son of an Ephraimite, Ephraite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons were Eliab, firstborn, the next name was Abinadab, and the third one was Shema. David was the youngest. The three elders followed Saul. If you're looking for a champion, you are at least looking for the oldest brother in the family. You're at least looking for someone who has been in the battle. The challenger, Goliath, is very clear. You see his credentials. But with David, you just get, a, you just get a, a line of succession. You just get his brother's names, and he's the youngest. You don't know what he's doing. Champion is unclear. He was born in Bethlehem, which in Hebrew, in Hebrew context, if you follow the book of Kings, a lot of the kings were not even born in Bethlehem. They were born in Jerusalem. Champions don't come from Bethlehem. Champions don't come from Bethlehem. Somebody picked it up. He was a shepherd. Wasn't even a soldier. I hope you're seeing Christ. He was the youngest, untrained and unskilled. Not even invited to the army. David was described as a In Hebrew, the boy, when they use the phrase boy, it means someone who has not had any children yet. In a culture where people married young. So he's super young, as we would say. Right? In a culture where, yeah, like I said, in a culture where people married young, he doesn't even have any children. He's a boy. He has no weapons with him. It's a mismatch. Right? It's a big mismatch. This is, uh, this is shaping up to be one of those Hallmark movies where you know the end, right? It's, you, you know this is going to happen, right? Uh, the, TV, the TV commentators, when they do sports, like, this is, this is going to be a David versus Goliath matchup. And you know what's going to happen, right? David eventually wins. That's how it's shaping up. It's like when I'm at home sometimes, when we're at home, sitting at home, and someone walks up to the door, right, and knocks on the door, and little Lou will go, I got it, I'm going to go to the door. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you don't, right? Who are we going to send for us? Who are we going to send? Is there anybody in here who's saying, who's going to go for me? Life has hit you hard. You're asking, where, where is my champion? 
because there's a lack of champions or because we don't know who the true champion is, we begin to doubt. We go to other places in our lives to find a champion. We call them, I call them, the things that we go to, money, education, relationships, you name it, those are paper champions. They're quick fixes, quick fixes, right? They might win a battle, but they won't win the war. See, David won a battle, but the true champion wins a war. Yeah. A lot of things we turn to are, will win battles for us, but it won't win the war. You know, self-help books all make temporary champions. Our favorite blogs, gurus, preachers, pastors, presidents, all are temporary champions. I want you to sit in that. The Israelites were in that position. The possibility of slavery without a champion. At the age of six years old, I, I had a cousin who lived about a mile from me, and uh, I used to, oh, I, I really loved her, and if I, could, if I could get her to the States today, I would, because she took care of me. She was older than me, and I used to always want to go see her, but she was a mile away. And between her house and my house, was a kid named Morris who was two years older than me. I'm not sure if Morris is alive because I went looking for him when I went back to Liberia to prove to him that I'm six foot tall now. <laughs> but Morris, Morris was this person in my life that I couldn't, I couldn't defeat. I had to walk through his, his yard, we called it, to get to, to get to my cousin's house. And every single time, Morris would grab me, put me in the headlock, and give it to me. <laughs> In Liberia, I don't even know the, I, I don't even know if we have it. In, in Liberia, we call it government farina. Farina, I don't, you know farina, right? A government farina is a sand. Then he just stuffed you with government farina. He would beat the snot out of me and give me sand to eat every single time. And I didn't know what to do with Morris until I, I, I got my older brother, right, to stand in my place. Some of us are sitting here, we don't know what to do. You've eaten enough farina in your life, you don't know what to do. The words of the Philistine, right? The words of the Philistine, just, just it, when it went through the Israelite army, it crushed them. Makes the whole army quiver. It said they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So you have this challenger. And you have David the champion. But as we see clearly, David is reflecting another champion that is to come. But so what? So what? So as the story goes, you know the story. David goes and collects it. Saul comes up to him and said, hey, do you want any armor? He says, no, I don't want any armor. I don't need all of this. This doesn't work for me, right? These are all paper champions. All these things you're giving me, they, they might win the battle, but it will not win the war. Here's the, let me show you what I'm going to do. And he says, I have defeated a bear and a lion. And I did it in a way that you wouldn't expect. So how do we fight our battles? So what? How does the story of David and Goliath help me live today? It helps me see Christ. Help us see Christ really clearly. Here's what David does. Here's what you should do. Here's what the gospel says. You have to turn every battle into the Lord's battle. 
turn every battle into the Lord's battle. David says, who is this Philistine who's talking about the Lord? He didn't say he was talking about us. He's talking about the Lord. If he's talking about the Lord, that's not my problem. That's going to be his problem. Right? Verse 45 says, who is this guy defying the Lord? He didn't say, man, he's defying us. We got to do something. It's going to be his problem when God gets done with him. Right? The same story in Hezekiah, in, 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 in 2 Kings chapter 18. Hezekiah is king of, of Israel at this time. And he's going through. He, he's the king. It's his 13th year. And he's, he, he's, a, he's a good king. But he's made alliances with other countries. He's created paper champions around him. If you read that story, it's kind of the same story. The Assyrians are coming. And they've laid siege on Hezekiah and the Israelites. And, and Hezekiah is, is, is saying, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? He's talking to the priest. He's talking to everybody. What are we going to do? Then he gets a note from the Assyrian king. And the Assyrian king basically said, if you're telling your people to trust in the Lord, it's not going to work. We've cut off your water. We've cut off everything. We're coming to take you. And you're going to be first because they usually kill the king first, right? And the, and the Assyrians were extra wicked because they skinned people alive. Fear grips the city yet again. Hezekiah, you know what Hezekiah does? He takes that letter and he takes it to the temple and he puts it before God. He says, God, that's your problem. He turns the battle into God's battle. When you get up in the morning, I hear Robert clapping, but somebody else should. When you get up in the morning, and you're facing the anxiety and the depression and the next month's rent and this and that and cancer, you just say against the Lord, this is your problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my problem. You make your battle the Lord's. That's probably what I should have done with Morris. <laughs> the battle is not for us to fight with our paper champions. Christ is the true champion. Let me explain why. Most of the time when you've heard this story, you always put yourself in the seat of David. It's a moralizing story. Be like David. Find your five stones. Be good. You've heard those sermons. Go to war. It's not entirely true, right? Because it's making you put the things in your hands and not in the Lord's. I'm here to tell you this morning, you need to put down your weapons and get on your knees because Christ is the one who fights. You think your battles are flesh and blood and your tactics will fix everything. No, we cannot in our own strengths fight our battles. I need you to call the champion. Amen. Christ is the one who fights. Jesus Christ, like David, was an improbable champion. He was born in Bethlehem to no fanfare. You see his genealogy. You don't see his armor because his armor ain't from this world. He was a shepherd, and he calls himself the good shepherd. To tell you about David, who was in his genealogy, he said, I am a shepherd like David. He's the only righteous judge. He has 
limitless love. The battle is his and not yours. He was the root of Jesse, as we describe David in here. Through him, our ultimate battle has been won. Has been won. The war will, you will never lose the war if you hand it over to Jesus Christ. This story outlines and foreshadows a coming king. Not us. It's not about us and putting ourselves and we're killing our giants. This story is about the coming king upon whom God's spirit descends. I don't know if you put two and two together, but when David was anointed king, so the spirit of God descended on him, right? If you look at the, if you look at the New Testament, when John baptizes Jesus, what happens? The spirit of God descends on him, right? People of Israel, we find ourselves in this, in this place, and, place, and try to place ourselves properly in the story. We are not David in the story. We are not Goliath in the story. We are the people of Israel. That's the correct seat to see yourself in the battle. Christ is our champion. He is our David. He is going to fight the battle for you, and you won't have to lift a stone. You won't have to put on any armor. You will be sitting there shaking, and you said, Lord, I'm going to give it to the champion. Right? You're going to give it to the champion. The place to put yourself in that story is in the place of the Israelite army and the people of Israel who are shaking because initially they don't have a champion. When the, when the battle becomes the Lord, our champions emerge. Our champion, oh, this is so good. Our champion doesn't kill, he dies. Our champion is not after Goliath, is not going to strike Goliath in the head with a physical stone. He's going to die so that we're set free forever. He doesn't take up stones, he's put up on the cross. Not so that he wins a battle here on earth, but that he satisfied the wrath of God for eternity. So that you and I can sit here thousands of years later and can benefit from that great sacrifice. See, David made a sacrifice when he stepped out there. Jesus made a sacrifice when he stepped out there and he was going to be ridiculed and, and defeated. And he thought, and the enemy thought, yes, we have defeated him. And now the people will always be slaves. But when he rose from the dead, he gave us the courage to say, no. The champion has taken my sin, and I am free forever. I, the threat of slavery is long gone, and I don't need to live in a place that I think that, oh, I, I poor me, I need to find five stones. The moment when Jesus dies on the cross, the victory is won. The moment he gave his life, our victory is his. The moment Jesus says, the battle is the Lord's, our salvation has been won. Just as David makes the battle of the Lord's and Goliath is dead, he takes on our battles. Every Goliath in your life is toast when you present to the Lord. Every single one. The gospel says this. You won't have to lift a stone to fight for your salvation. Your freedom your safety because of Jesus Christ has already done it. By the way, let me just say this. When Jesus is on the cross, 
when he dies and, 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 and the, the, the earthquake happens and a veil is torn in, in, in a temple, the first person to acknowledge that Jesus was the son of God is a Gentile, to welcome everyone into the family. He's the first one to say it. Jesus willingly gives his life so that the people are free from bondage, live in freedom instead of fear. No self-help book, guys, will give up the life for you. No guru will. Throughout in the entire human history, there's not one, one religious leader who gave up his life to be humiliated and killed so that people can be remembered. None of those people are remembered. Jesus is not your run-of-the-mill champion. He's the only way to eternal victory. He turns our obstacles into great opportunities for his glory. Somebody needs to say amen. amen. Well, you know the story. David kills Goliath. It's a quick battle. I had a professor who studied these kind of things, ancient Near Eastern history, and he tells us, he said, Hebrew boys were so accurate with that sling, they could hit a target the size of a man's head from a quarter mile away. He said those stones traveled more than 40 or 50 miles an hour, right? He talks about it, and he talks about it in, in like scientific terms. I was like, I never heard this, right? He said when that stone hit him, we always think the stone killed him. But if you read the story correctly, the stone hits him, he falls, and David goes over and actually cuts his head. That's what kills him. David, how does David have so much favor with God that he's untrained? Because he's a son. God made an unconditional covenant with him. And God has made an unconditional covenant with you. When David sins, he repents, as we all should. God never leaves him and he will never leave you. The life, the life of David just points us to Jesus Christ through this narrative that says there are 40 authors in the Bible, but there's one cosmic author. All these stories, all these kings, all these characters start out with the question, is he going to be the Messiah? Is he going to deliver us? Is he going to be the champion? The book of Kings, I told you last week, ends in a question mark on an incomplete sentence. Because the, the book of Chronicles, I'm sorry, tells us there's someone that is coming. We won't have to fight battles in, against nine incredible nine-foot giants in our lives. The children of God stand and watch. We stand and watch. We pray and we stand and watch as the Philistine giants, the giants in our lives are defeated. Right? This impossible foes that have brought us to our knees all our lives will be defeated and has been defeated by Jesus Christ on the cross. He defeats the serpent as we talk about in Genesis 1. If you remember the story, when God says, you got to leave, you have to leave, you have to leave, you have, you've fallen, but I'm going to send you someone, a seed that will crush the serpent's head. Make the battle God's and not yours. As the prayer team comes, as we, as we try to pretend like we're quitting, right? I would like to say to you this morning, that the story of David and Goliath, as you've always heard it, 
is not because we need to be something. We need to do something. We need to express some ways. You're sitting around thinking, okay, I gotta find my, I gotta find my slingshot. I gotta find my five stones. I want you to take whatever your problem is, whatever you're going through now, and make it the Lord's. Make it God's problem. As Long Garber would say, pray and let God worry. You don't need to worry, because worry won't solve your problems, right? The Israelites are sitting there shaking in their boots, waiting. As sometimes we're sitting there shaking our boots. Who's going to save us? Who's going to step between the lines? Jesus Christ is the great intercessor who steps in between the lines. And his weapons are not of this world. Any challenger that comes forth, he's going to deal with. And deal with accordingly. Bow your heads with me. Your love and the words. God, I pray that as the prayer team is up here, if there, is peop- if there are people in this room right now going through facing literal and figurative nine-foot giants, seven-foot giants. They may be mental. They may be monetary. They may be in their health. They may be in their family, but they're facing something insurmountable this morning. God, I pray that your spirit comes through and serves, Lord, and, 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 and clarifies and clears the way that they battle. You battle on their behalf, as King Hezekiah did, as David did. Battle is not ours, but the Lord's. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. If you're going through something this morning, don't let this day pass. Don't let these moments pass. Come and be prayed for. Hand over those issues. And let the Lord fight your battles. Because it's going to get tiring to fight your battles every single day. But you can give it to the Lord in prayer. Say, Lord, here it is. I don't know what it is. But God, take it. In Jesus' name I pray.